Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. This is called Gurot, God's Powerful Acts or just Power. We'll look at it and see how it's constructed and we'll contemplate some of its ideas. Okay? Atagi Borle Olam Hashem. You are powerful. Again, Lolam modern Hebrew means forever, but it really means eternally or infinitely. You are infinitely powerful, God. You resuscitate the dead or make the dead live. Might greatly saving, great savior. So we say, you are powerful, God, and then we go immediately, we cut to the chase to like, what's the most amazing act of God's power to resuscitate the dead? We're going to talk about lesser things. You know, you support the fallen, you bring the rain, Mela, as we say in Yiddish, okay, um, but you cause the dead to be alive. Now, we can, we can, we will and can talk about all sorts of modern interpretations you might want to give to this and how we understand this line. But it's clear that for Chazal, for the sages, this was meant literally as the resurrection of the dead. Um, the idea of which first sort of appears in Ezekiel around 600 BCE when he talks about the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. Actually, that would be after the destruction. So let's call it 580 BCE. And is uh, comes more clearly in the book of Daniel, a very late biblical book, which says, and in the end of the vision and the end of time, and the dead will rise from the dust. Okay, so we have in the, let's just call it in the centuries of the second temple, in the centuries um, <clears throat> before the time of Jesus, an idea evolving in Judaism that the soul lives on eternally. And at the end of time, the righteous who are dead, the dead, the dead people who are righteous will be resuscitated to life. Um, there's a book of, you can read about this, about the evolution of this idea by Rabbi Neil Gilman called, I think it's called The Death of Death. And um, rabbinic Judaism, which is ahistorical and sees no evolution in Judaism and says that everything has always been the same from Sinai onwards, uh, would say that there was always a Jewish belief in uh, life after death. Um, most non-Orthodox, non-Rabbinic, secular scholars who have an evolutionary or historical view of Judaism, which means ideas evolved and changed over time, right? So we don't have to explain how Abraham kept kosher by bringing butter and meat to the angels, right? We don't have to explain that away because Judaism, Judaism has evolved. Abraham Avinu didn't keep kosher in the same way that we do. So it's not a textual problem, right? So in the historical evolutionary view of Judaism, the Bible in general does not espouse the idea of eternal life, uh, eternality of the soul or life after death. We have a story, for example, in the book of Samuel, where um, Samuel wants to get a prophecy about what's going to happen in the battle tomorrow. 
and he can't get any message from God in prophecies or in dreams or using the Urim or Tumim. So he goes and, uh, and to a woman called in English the Witch of Endor. She's a woman who, who knows how to raise people from the dead. I think in English we call that a necromancer. I think that's the fancy term, right? And she raises Samuel from the dead. And Samuel is in Sheol, the shadowy underworld. And he comes up and he says to Saul, why are you bothering me? Why are you troubling me? So the biblical, general biblical era belief seems to be you die and you go down to Sheol and you're kind of not heard from again. And that's sort of the end of the story. Lo hametim yahalalu yah. The dead do not praise God. You're right. So we have all over and over again in the book of Tilim and Psalms, God, you want to keep me alive because if I'm dead, I won't be able to praise you. Um, and footnote, lots of the, the Bible scholars say the reason that the Bible in general de-emphasized what happens after death is because its authors were well aware that they were surrounded by nations that put a lot of emphasis on what happened after death. The Egyptians and the Babylonians who believed that the Pharaoh or the king would live on forever. And that's why in their tombs, we put all this stuff that they're going to need in the afterlife. And sometimes you would put other servants to death because they're going to need to serve the king in the afterlife um, and we know that now from archaeology and these magnificent tombs that have been dug up. So perhaps in the face of ancient Near Eastern civilizations that believed strongly in the afterlife and that emphasized the afterlife, um, biblical uh, thinking de-emphasizes the afterlife. So you can say in the Bible, either the afterlife is de-emphasized or they didn't believe in it, one or the other, kind of depending on where you want to fall in the nuance there. But again, that would be a historical view and not an ahistoric rabbinic slash orthodox view. Um, everyone with me so far? So it's the sages, the rabbis, who really bring in or bring back, depending on how you look at it, to the Jewish people, the idea of that the soul lives on after death eternally. And we know that this was one of the, uh, both from rabbinic sources and from Josephus, that this is one of the main sticking points between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were sort of the forerunners of our rabbis of the Mishnah and Talmud, and the Sadducees were the Jerusalem priests. And Josephus says the Sadducees don't believe in the eternality of the soul. The Pharisees believe in the eternality of the soul, that the soul is eternal, that there's a part of you that lives on beyond death, an invisible part of you. Gilman, in his book, The Death of Death, basically says that this is the rabbi sort of under the influence of Greek thinking. I'll take you back to, I don't know, whatever you might have learned about Greek thinking when you were many decades ago in school, right? Where uh, in Greek philosophy, there was the thing and the idea of the thing, Right. The thing is, let's say the example that's given is chairs. Right. I, I can't remember. Ch Plato says chairs or tables or whatever when people teach Plato. Right. So if all the chairs in the universe ceased to exist right now, the idea of what a chair is could still exist. Everyone follow me. 
sorry to take you back to some college dorm room discussion or something, which means there's a con there, there's a thing and there's a concept of the thing. And even if the thing doesn't actually exist physically, the idea of it can still exist. So there's a realm of ideas, which is separate from the realm of physical stuff. So Gilman says, I think, if I remember correctly, that sort of under the influence of Greek thinking, the early sages, the Pharisees, right, um, evolve or develop an idea that even when the thing, which is to say your body is gone, the idea of the thing can still exist, right? The soul is like the idea of the body, meaning it's something that has a reality to it, which is not a material reality. So this is actually really important in early Judaism and rabbinic Judaism, meaning the sages really want to emphasize that there is life after death. And they actually say, and whoever doesn't believe in life after death, that person has no share in the world to come which is like a big, like a big, it's a big deal when the sages say that, right? They list the people who have no share in the world to come, which means you're not going to be there in paradise. Now, why is it really important theologically for the sages, for Chazal, for the rabbis, that a belief in life after death exists? What problem does that solve? When good things happen to bad people. Correct. So the doctrine of reward and punishment. So the is so the simple superficial biblical idea of reward and punishment is problematic. It has been problematic, recognized as problematic since the book of Job that goes back two and a half millennia. There are Babylonian versions of the problem of Job from 2000 BCE. So that means it goes back four millennia. So the problem of how come sometimes bad things happen to good people, the universe seems unfair, okay, is troubling. If we tell people to be good because good things will happen to you and then the wicked are punished, right, sort of the, the basic doctrine of reward and punishment, well, we look at the end of this life and we see, we, see, we meaning people, anyone, for the last several thousand years, we see that sometimes that does not seem to be borne out as true. There are wicked people who prosper and live long, fill, full, happy, rich, wicked lives and die at an old age, and righteous people who uh, are blameless and die tragically young, even like, you know, children, right? God forbid, poo, poo, poo. And so uh, this doctrine of reward and punishment is troubling. So it is, quote, unquote, fixed or solved. One of the solutions um, is the solution of the rabbis, the Pharisees, who said, well, that's just what you see in this world. That, that's not the whole story. There's another realm after this world, and all the reward and punishment stuff gets settled there. And they apply this to individuals as well as to nations, right? So in this world, the Jewish people, God's favored people, we're getting the stuffing kicked out of us, conquered by all these conquerors. Don't worry. In the world to come, we will get our reward. And um, the 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 uh, the the nations that didn't accept God's Torah, they're all going to get punished. 
right? And there are lots and lots of Midrashim about this, the punishment in store for the other nations and the great reward for B'nai Israel. Okay, so Jeff, I'll come to your question in a second. So we may want, we moderns may want to explain however we want to explain to make ourselves comfortable with reading this blessing. What we mean when we say mechayei hametim, the person lives on, you know, person lives on eternally in our heart, in our lives, we remember them, all kinds of things we like to say. That's not what Chazal, the sages meant. The sages meant that there's a resurrection of the dead in the end time, like the book of Daniel. And that's a hugely important doctrine, right, in rabbinic Judaism, because it solves the problem of uh, what's called in Hebrew, um, in rabbinic Hebrew, Sadiq viralo rasha vitovlo. It's a righteous man who has it, gets it bad, and there's a wicked man who gets it good. Why bad things happen to good people? Jeff. I think you answered it. I was trying to understand the problem and the solution. So that, so it really is in their own minds, their, their understanding of the world and how it worked. It solved it for them. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Correct. So this solved the problem of why things, why bad things happen to good people. The reason Harold Kushner, uh, Harold Kushner, Larry Kushner, Harold Kushner, um, had to write the book, why bad things, when bad things happen to good people is because he says, if you read that book, um, modern people don't believe this anymore. They don't believe in, don't worry, there's resurrection of the dead, right? So all the accounts will eventually be settled. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Any other questions about that? Well, we're not going to get to yet. What do you think about this? Okay. So what's interesting is the paragraph which we know is about Mechayeh HaMeitim, and Baruch HaDashem Mechayeh HaMeitim. So the paragraph leads and concludes, as a bracha is supposed to, open with what you're going to finish with, right? Those are in general the rules of bracha. The, the, the bracha leads and concludes with the most biggest powerful act you could possibly imagine, okay? I don't know. I can blow so I can make a little wind. So maybe if thousands of us got together in blue, maybe that would make some wind, okay? Uh, or maybe we could figure out some scientific way, seed the clouds and make rain, right? So there are certain very powerful things that maybe if we all got together and figured out how to do, we could do that. But the most powerful thing that we can't possibly imagine how one could do that is to reanimate dead people. That's why we call it a miracle. Only God can do that, according to the sages. So in the paragraph talking about God's power, they lead and conclude about with the biggest superpower of all, with lots of lesser superpowers in between. Okay, so you are powerful, you are eternally, infinitely powerful, Hashem, you resurrect the dead, mighty savior. Then in the winter season, we add, um, we add, you cause the wind, you, you, you control the weather, meaning in the part of the year in the Near East in which weather is crucial, or if the weather isn't right, we will starve, right? 
if the rains aren't right. We're heading, we, we're headed into a, another drought season in California, another wildfire season, right? Uh, so, so we understand, we who live here in California, we understand this, right? When I grew up in the Northeast, it was less obvious. Like it just rains all the time, you know, intermittently throughout the year. Um, I remember the first time I, I, we took our kids to visit in a, from California in a summer and it rained it to the East and it rained. They were extremely confused. How can it be 80 degrees and rain? This does not, this did not compute in the brains of my California children, right? Flip side also, how can it be sunny and really cold? I remember we went once over winter break and we were there December and we're in some of Manhattan apartment and the sun is shining outside and they go outside and they're freezing and they were, they, they like, how could that doesn't work anyway? So in California, we understand what this means, right? That if the rains don't come in the wrong season, we are sunk, man. Okay, so God, you control the weather, the wind and the rain. Or if you live in the land of Israel or if you're Sephardic in the summer season, you say Morid Hatal, right? We don't have rain, but we still need dew. You sustain life, you sustain life lovingly or support life or distribute life, Michalkel. And you... um, Revive the dead in your great mercies. So mech noflim, you support the fallen. All of these are phrases from somewhere in the Bible. Virofecholim, you heal the sick. Umatirasurim, release the bound. This sounds like what part of the service that we've read in the morning? It's a sort of a different kind of version, different list. Okay. And you keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. The phrase Yeshene Afar, those who sleep in the dust, that comes from the book of Daniel. Okay. Um, it's kind of a nice euphemism for people who are dead. Yeshene Afar. Right. Um, so, so I just want to point out, we lead and we conclude with the biggest powerful act of all, right? Reviving the dead. But, but we have it alluded to repeatedly through the bracha, right? Mechayemitim brachamim rabim, mechayememunatoli sheneafar, michamocha bal giburot, midomelach. Wow. Who is as powerful as you? Who could be compared to you? Rhetorical question. Melech, meimit, Sovereign who brings death and life and uh, causes, I'm reading English translation, translation, causes salvation to flourish. Matzmiach is, is a, it means to grow, it's a causative to grow something. Like when you grow a plant, I'm growing, you know, I'm growing lettuce, I'm growing tomatoes. You would say matzmiach. Okay. I don't know if you'd say that in Israeli, Jared, but, but that's what matzmiach means. It means you cause, but what God is causing to grow in this passage is Yeshua salvation, which we've seen numerous times before in the Sidur, which doesn't mean some Christian tinge. Yeah. Salvation. Hallelujah. Salvation means saving, 
like what, what lifeguards do when you're drowning. Okay, it means literal rescue. Okay. Hashem rescues us from death. Right? So just as God can rescue you from illness, from being bound, from falling, right? God rescues us from death. Again, as if, now I actually think this idea of resurrection is repeated so many times in the Racha because I think the authors of the Racha realized that this idea strains people's credulity. Like, really? I mean, really? God controls the weather? Uh, I don't know. God healed me because I prayed. Okay, I like that idea. But God is going to resurrect the dead at the end of time? I have a lot of trouble with that idea. I think the authors of this knew that this strains credulity, which is why the Tzadokite priests, the Jerusalem priests, didn't believe in it. Okay? That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's partly how they were able to differ. Because the Pharisaic idea, the rabbinic idea, was a revolutionary and new idea in the context of ancient Israel. Um, so, Vineman is you are really reliable and faithful. We can count on you. Ata, we're talking directly to God, right? Lachayot meitim, to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you Hashem, who resurrects the dead. Now again, we may want to elide or avoid the literalness or the concreteness of this idea with all sorts of creative translations or in the reform and the reconstructionist movement, they don't do creative translations, they change it. So some reform and reconstructionist Sidurim say, Mechaye HaKol, you give life to all, instead of Mechaye HaMetim. Here, I don't know. I, I use sometimes this book as background. My People's Prayer Book, Volume 2, is about the Amidah. Larry has one of my other volumes on on, on indefinite loan. So um, give me a second. So Ellenson's commentary has... Uh, so some of them did... Michaye, uh Notea bitochenu chaye olam. You planted eternal life in our midst. Redeem the souls of your servants from death, which means like a lot of the time, a lot of times in Psalms, it says, I'm dying, but you saved me, right? So that that last one is like the idea of like, well, yeah, I would be dying, but you saved me. Uh, who gives life to all living things. So um, we have various, um, oh, here's a modern Israeli one. Mashpil af miromeim ata. You bring low and you raise up. Okay. So in the more liberal movements, if we want to call them that, reform and reconstructionist, in the various editions of Sidurim over the last, you know, 150 years, they have all kinds of ways uh our our 
our way tends to be, by the way, in our conservative, and I would say um, um, lots of Orthodox Jews do to this. If you said to them, do you believe literally in a resurrection of the dead? And, uh, and why do you say Mechayim team? There would be plenty of Jews in the pews in Orthodox schools, modern Orthodox schools, who would say, uh, I don't know about that. I understand it to mean the dead live on in our hearts when we talk about them. So there surely are plenty of members of modern Orthodox synagogues who do not believe literally in the resurrection of the dead, although they probably would not admit that publicly. Okay. Um, so we can't say to Meyer, Meyer, please go to B'nai David on Shabbos morning and buttonhole people and ask them this questionnaire and then come back and tell us, you know, what percentage of people who daven at B'nai David um, believe literally in the resurrection of the dead at the end of time and which one of them have some creative understanding of Mechayeh HaMeti. So we can't do that because people wouldn't give you an honest answer. Um, but Meyer, you know, why, why don't you on your spare time over the next months, gather some data on that for us informally. And if you have, if you, if you come back to committee and give us a report on that, are you there? Meyer can you hear me Unmute. Unmute. I don't know. His light bulb is there, but I don't know if he hears me. Okay. Um, he's still walking. He's walking. Okay. I hope he hears me. Anyway. So the lights are on, but nobody's home. But I'm uh, here. You here. Okay. You, you got your assignment, your committee assignment? I, I have my assignment. Uh, it's not, it's uh, not due next week. It's not due next week. It's a <laughs> long range back burner project. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Let us know when you're ready to report back to committee. Okay. I think I've done my best to explain pretty clearly the historical background of this idea and what the words mean. And I think we'll pick up here next week, God willing. Um, and we will talk about, uh, actually there's a couple things I want to talk about in the middle about the weather and the supporting the Somech no Flim supporting the fallen and what does that mean and then we'll we'll then we'll talk some amongst ourselves about sort of how does this in what ways does this bracha speak to you you have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from temple beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative judaism in los angeles if you enjoy these podcasts we invite you to write a review on the apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts for more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.